we need to turn to the book of Joshua because we're going to be continuing our series through the book of Joshua. We are going verse by verse through the book, and we're going to be in chapters 13 and 14 tonight. Uh, The series title is God Fulfills His Promises, and that is certainly true uh, through chapters 13 and 14. God's actually going to remind Joshua and Caleb, except Caleb, you're going to say he's actually one of my favorite characters in the Bible because he gets kind of very demanding with the Lord, but in a very good way. So don't, don't take it out of context. Um, but we're going to be highlighting these two men, Joshua and Caleb, because they are phenomenal men of faith. Uh, the reason why they are phenomenal men of faith is not because they're perfect, not because they are something uniquely different about them. It's just that they heard the word of the Lord and they trusted the word of the Lord. And therefore, they moved forward in the word of the Lord. And that's why we have the book of Joshua here. Uh, One thing I want to put out in front, we're going to be talking a lot about active faith. In the church, you hear the word faith. You got to have faith. You just got to have faith. You hear pastors say, if you just had faith the size of a mustard seed. It's one thing to be in belief, but we have to have active faith. The kind of faith that goes beyond just believing and stepping forward into the very nature of what God is calling you into. So we're going to put up this slide first, just so you can have a context as we move uh, through these two chapters. Active faith defined is genuine trust in the promises of God and the total dependence on his power. That's what it means to hear the word of the Lord. It's, it goes beyond passive belief. You can, you can believe God is true. You can believe God is there. You can believe God loves people, but you might not actively be operating in that world. You might not be actively pursuing the things that he's promised for you. And so if you believe that God is God and he's your God, then you have to start moving in an active, uh, faithful way where if he says go, you got to go. And if he says sit still, you got to sit still because he is God and you are not. I like to kind of exemplify it this way. Um, Of my two boys, they're diametrically opposed. One is um, Charlie, my youngest, he doesn't care what the risk is. If there's something he wants, he's going for it. And if he has to trip over a million things to get that donut, it's worth it. It doesn't matter how many bumps or bruises he gets on the way. He's just going to charge ahead. But I have this other son, Joey, who's uh, Joey Jr. He's, he's always like assessing the situation. Like, how hurt will I get? He's always, you can see the clockwork behind his eyes. He's always like, is it worth this? Maybe not. He'll actually say, he'll actually reduce himself and say, hey, I don't need that because there's a lot of pain between me and that thing. I've assessed, I'm not going to do that. And that's Joey. But what's amazing is when he was a little kid, a little baby, mind you, and he was just learning to stand, I used to put him up like on the edge of the couch or the edge of the table. And I would say, come jump in my arms. And he, this little kid that was always assessing the danger, wouldn't go down a slide if it looked too steep, wouldn't run across the playground if the kids looked too rough. He would just look me in the eyes, run and jump. Just run and jump. Like no thought, no hesitation. Why? Because he didn't trust the jump. He didn't trust his legs. He trusted his heart of his father on the other side. And that's who we are looking at when we look at these verses. Look at James 2 on the screen. In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. That means to say, I hear you, Lord. If I don't believe you, Lord, then I'll sit here and go, yeah, Lord, you're great, but I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to stay here and I'm not going to move. I'm not going to move forward. I believe that you're for people. I believe you don't want me to get hurt. I know sometimes you make me uncomfortable, but I'm okay right here. I'm fine. But the Lord says, no, we got to go. 
we got to move. Think if, if Israel had said that in Egypt. We would have a whole different Bible, wouldn't we? If Israel did not listen. Look at the next verse. James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Isn't that kind of an interesting little like add-on? We sometimes go, you can't just be hearers of the word, you have to be doers of the word. But look what it says. If you don't, then you're deceiving yourself. Do what it says. And so we have to say, um, I don't just believe God, I believe in God. I believe in his heart and his character. When my son would run across that table or run across the couch and jump and leap into the air, I remember the first time he did it, I was like, holy moly, I better not drop him. Because he, for the first time in his life, is just living and just listening and just running and jumping. He didn't assess the situation. He didn't account for anything. He was just like, daddy, and he just jumped. That's who we are to be. We should say, if God is truly the loving father that we think he is, and he professes to be in the scripture, then we should run and jump with faith, not just be trusting our legs, not trusting our ability, but trusting his heart on the other side. And that's what Joshua and Caleb did. When you're looking through these two chapters, Joshua and Caleb exemplify this perfectly because this is what they did. They heard from the Lord. They were like, yep, that's it. I'm hearing you, Lord. I listen, I'm gonna go. And that's how they were. And so the result was their faith became strong. And guess what? The blessings flowed. Now, up until now, we've been in uh, Joshua 1 all the way to 13. Was Joshua perfect? Not by any account. Did he make mistakes? But was he blameless? Yes. Because even though he made mistakes, even though he had failures, he just pursued the Lord nonstop. He had faith that the Lord would accept him through his mistakes and move forward. Now, was, the Lord would still hold him accountable, right? And he would make good, but that's where forgiveness flows. So blameless does not by any account and any means mean perfect. It just means forgiven. It means loved. It means ready to run and jump into the heart of the Father, regardless of my performance. It's not my heart, it's his heart that I'm jumping for. So join me. That was just a context and a foundation of what we are moving through chapters 13 and 14. It says this in verse 1. And when Joshua had grown old, the Lord had said to him, I don't know how you hear this in the tone, but I think it's pretty funny. You are now very old. And there are still very large areas of land to be taken over. Uh, I don't know how the Lord said it, but it's kind of funny to me because I'm like, Lord, I know you know that I'm old. You don't have to bring it up. Um, But the Lord is actually saying this in a way, there is work still to be done. We've accomplished much. We have moved out of the wilderness. We have moved into the promised land. And guess what? Your situation is not a problem for me. I'm still going to use you, which brings us to our next point. Active faith is knowing this. Your personal situation isn't an obstacle for God. Only your faithful participation is needed. This is a great slide to talk about the the life of Joshua because Joshua really was just an ordinary man with an extraordinary God doing extraordinary things through him. Joshua's age did not slow God down. In fact, Joshua may have been settling down for like a mid-afternoon nap and the Lord was like, hey, let's get going. We gotta go. I don't know what you're doing. But each age and like season of our life comes with unique experiences. And just when you know, like whatever you think is holding you down or preventing you from operating into the ministry and the kingdom of God, that's not an obstacle for God. You let God worry about that. 
If he takes you right where you're at with your limitations and your capabilities, then what people are going to see is the Holy Spirit come down on top of you, and everyone's going to see the Holy Spirit and not you. You can trust that. Active faith is that the Lord is going to fill in the gaps where I lack because I believe that my God is big enough. That's what Joshua is hearing right now. Is Joshua is saying, you know what? I'm going to take your weak and fragile self, and I'm going to bring my glory through it. We are going to finish out what we started. It doesn't matter your age. And this is an important moment in Israel's history because, as you know, as uh, it was promised to Moses, God laid out what the promised land looked like. They had not fully accomplished it. And so the Lord is saying, I'm going to fulfill my promise to you going all the way back to Abraham. I'm going to make good. So what is God doing? He's not just being faithful to us. He's being faithful to his word. God is a man of his word. And we need to start trusting in his word as he faithfully keeps making it come true. I want you to see verse two before we go into it though. It's gonna get really heavy with a bunch of names. It might not be important to you, but it would be important to these people. And I'm gonna tell you why. If God told you, we, the Sebastianites, were gonna possess Miko and Barefoot Bay, and Felsmere, and they're ours for the taking. We'd be like, hey, Lord, we didn't get to Barefoot Bay yet. We need to, we need, the Lord was like, okay, we're gonna do it. We're gonna do it together. So when you hear these words, don't just read them on a page. It's God specifically saying to the people, I have not forgiven you, forgotten the specific points I was gonna conquer. Look at verse two. This is the land that remains. All the regions of the Philistines and the Geshurites from the Sear River on the east of Egypt to the Terry of Ekron, uh, on the north, all of it is counted as Canaanite, though held by the f- uh, five Philistine rulers in Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, and Gath, and Ekron, the, ter- the territory of the Avites on the south. All the land of the Canaanites, from Era of the Sidonians as far as Ephek and the border of the Amorites, the area of Biblos, that's a good one, and all of Lebanon to the east from Baal, God, below Mount Hermon to Lebo Hamath. Verse 6. As for all the inhabitants of the mountain regions from Lebanon to Mithraf, Maim, that is all the Sidonians. Now look at this. God gets super personal. I myself will drive them out before the Israelites. Be sure to allocate this land to Israel for an inheritance as I have instructed you and divide it as an inheritance among the nine tribes and a half of the tribe of Manasseh. And so what's incredible that we see inside of this is God is very specifically saying, hey, old man Joshua, get up. It's time to go to war. It's time to drive out some people. It's time to get to work. But who's doing the work? God, I myself will drive out the people. I myself will do the completion of the work, which I just kind of want to put this up on the screen so you can see this so you can see as this as a prescription for your life. God is not only faithful to his promise, but he is also intimately involved. God doesn't just speak a word that he doesn't put his hand to. God doesn't say a word to you to say, and here you go, take two aspirin in the morning, call me. No, he doesn't do that. He goes, I'm there step for step. In fact, the initial thing that he gave Israel, going back to Abraham till now, is he gave them the plan, did he not? They didn't enter the promised land until he was in the middle of the battle. In fact, when they try to get away from his plan, what do they do? They'd fail until they would step back into his plan and then they would have success. So the success and the victory in the battle came from the Lord being right there. And then finally, he's already building the peace that will come afterwards. Isn't it amazing sometimes we can look at a situation and be like, this, 
God saved me five times before, but this might be the one that ends me. This might be the end. I saw a funny picture the other day. It says, every time that you feel like a slight pain in your chest, you go, oh God, this is the one. And that was the way it was like, it was just this guy looking up in the, in the sky. It's like every time, and it's like, oh no, I just had too many tacos. It was just acid reflux. It's not a big deal. But inside of this, the Lord is going, I'm not stopping at this moment that you think that might be ending you. I'm already building what's going to come afterwards. Look what he says at the end. He says, after you go out and I drive them out, after I do the work, verse 7, divide up the spoils, right? The inheritance among the nine tribes and a half of the tribe of Manasseh. He's, God's already moving through the situation and building the next chapter because the Lord is faithful, because the Lord is a man of his word, because the Lord is actively faithful as we are to be actively faithful. And that's where we have to do. God is showing his personal commitment to his people through his word. That's why this scripture is here. And we don't have to worry about our capabilities. We have to step into God's capabilities. You know, God made a covenant with Abraham and here we're walking into the fruition of it. God has not failed. You know, there is some people, uh, when you walk into corporate world, they were like, this, this guy's a, a big picture guy. Don't give him the details. And they're like, oh, give, give them the details. They're interested in details, right? And then there's God, who can obviously do both. He can see the big picture, and he's down in the details. And I just want to say, I am so glad that my God when I'm in the middle of a storm, is very much interested in the details. Because I know it's the details that can overwhelm me. They can start to add up. And then it's just like, what? That one little straw that broke the camel's back. But the Lord is saying, take this moment like a telescope, and would you look through this moment and see what your life would be like on the other side when the glory of God takes you through? How much of a different Christian, how much of a different person would you be on the other side of trusting God's faithfulness to sail you through that storm? but we have to intimately know him that way. Look at Hebrews. I love the New Testament. It's going to echo this. Hebrews chapter 13 says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? That verse right there is amazing because Paul's doing something phenomenal. He's walking people all the way from the book of Deuteronomy through the book of Psalms. Just think about the Exodus and think of David's life. And then he's putting a nice bow on it by saying, and it's that same heart that we saw in Jesus Christ in the New Testament. God's never changed. He's always been for us. He's never been against us. He's, we can say with confidence, my only help comes from the Lord. You know, Getting down to the, to the, to the nitty-gritty of the details, um, you know, sometimes we make this joke. I, I one time had a really bad uh, sore on the side of my um, ribs over here, and I had to have a surgeon take a look at it and take care of it. And I just remember one of my uncles made a joke. He's like, well, I played Operation last night, so I think I could get in there and take, you know, take care of it. And just think about that. Operation is very general, right? You know, it's just like if you hit the side, it buzzes, right? And you pull this bone out and you win. But I'm like, yeah, but I don't want you. I want the guy who knows about the details to go medically in there and take care of it. You know, the help that we need is specific. And we should be specific to the Lord. Lord, I'm struggling with this right now because there is something, let's take it in these words. There's something that's in living in your promises that should not be there, right? There's like an enemy tribe that's here. It could be fear. It could be doubt. It needs to be driven out. 
and I need you to come into my life, Lord, because I've been overwhelmed. I need you to say, I will drive it out for you because you are my help, Lord. You will never leave me. You will never forsake me. So let's continue verse eight as we go through and then we see, if you can, you put up that map picture if you have that. This kind of gives you kind of an interesting look. We are in chapter 13 on the right side of the Jordan, which is, if you see this lake right here, we have, you know, the Jordan River goes right in between these two bodies of water. Over here to the right is these two and a half tribes. And then chapter 14, we'll get into that later. But I just want to give you that visual. Look at verse 8. The other half of Manasseh, the Reubenites and the Gadites, had received the inheritance that Moses had given them to the east of the Jordan as he, the servant of the Lord, had assigned to them. It extended from Aror to the rim of Arnon Gorge and from the town of the middle of the gorge into the whole plateau of Mediba as far as Debon and all the towns of Shihon, the king of the Amorites, who ruled in Heshbon out to the border of the Ammonites. It has also included Gilead, the territory of the people of Gesher and Makkah, all of Mount Hermon and all of Bashan as far as Selakah. That is the whole kingdom of Og and Bashan and had reigned in Ashtaroth and Edrai and he was the last of the Rephites. And Moses had defeated them and taken over their land, but the Israelites did not drive out the people of Geshur and Makkah, and so they continued to live among the Israelites to this day. Verse 14, But the tribe of Levi he gave no inheritance, since the food offerings presented to the Lord, the God of Israel, are their inheritance as he promised them. As he promised them. So the Lord is at laying out, I, have, I, I put a plan together and we're fleshing out that plan and we're doing a great job of doing it. And, but it's kind of amazing just to put a little uh, extra for you on the, our tour through the Old Testament. Verse 13, the people of Geshur. That's actually, I think Geshur would end up in David's life. Remember it says they left him. Geshur um, would be a princess, would come from Geshur and then she with David would birth Absalom. So you can see there's some, good, some great spicy stories came out of that, right? And then there's Makkah. Actually, when David ran for his life, I think he hid in the city of Makkah. So it's a little interesting connection there. But verse 14, if you focus on that, it says, but to the tribe of Levi, he gave no inheritance. What he's actually saying to my people that I'm working in spiritually, they will not have a physical blessing in that way. The other, people, the other tribes will have a physical blessing. I made a physical covenant with Israel and those 12 tribes will physically inhabit this land. But to my spiritual people that I'm spiritually working in, you will not have that promise because he's going to later on and say this, I will take care of you. I will be your portion. Look at verse 15. And this is what Moses had given to the tribe of Reuben according to its clans, the territory of Aror and to the rim of Arnon and the gorge and the town of the middle of the gorge, Right? He says to Heshbon and to all the towns of the plateau, including Debon, Bamoth, Baal, Beth, Baal, Ma'an, Jaaz, Kedemoth, Mephahath, Kirithium, I'm having a workout here, Sebam, Sereth, Shehar on the hill and the valley, Beth, Peor, and the slopes of Pisgah, and Beth, Jeshimoth. All the towns on the plateau in the entire realm of the Sihon king of the Amorites who ruled at Heshbon, Moses had defeated him, and the Midianite chiefs, Evi, Rechem, Zer, Ur, and Reba, princes allied with Sihon, all lived in that country. Verse 22. In addition to those slain in battle, the Israelites had put to the sword Balaam, son of Beor, who practiced divination. It's my understanding that he was actually given the gift of prophecy 
but used it for evil. He could have used it for the Lord. He could have, and I'm going to point out something else to you when we get to Caleb's life, but he did not. Verse 23, the boundary of the Reubenites was the bank of the Jordan. These towns and their villages were the inheritance of the Reubenites according to their clans. This is what Moses had given the tribe of Gad according to its clans, the territory of Jazar and the towns of Gilead and half the Ammonite country as far as Aor near Rabbah and from Heshbah and to Ramath Mizpah and Betanim and from Menahem to the territory of Debir and the valley Beth Harem, Beth, Nimrah, Sukkoth, and Zephon with the realm of the, of the Sihon king of Heshbon. These towns and their villages were the inheritance of the Gadites, according to their clan. So if you want to look at the map, you can see where Gad went. This is what Moses had given the half-tribe of Manasseh, that is to the family of the descendants of Manasseh, according to its clans. The territory extending from Menheim and including all of Bashan, the entire realm of Og, king of Bashan, all the settlements of Jair Bashan, 60 towns, half of Gilead and Ashtaroth and Edrai, the royal cities of Og. This was the descendants of Machir, the son of Manasseh, the half-sons of Machir, according to their clans. Now, verse 32. This is the inheritance Moses had given when he was in the plains of Moab across the Jordan east of Jericho. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. Now you want to hear this next part. The Lord, the God of Israel, is their inheritance, as he promised them. As a people, we can read that and we could just gloss over that, but that meant a huge amount of things. Specifically, God was surgically going through the places that he said he had promises for, and he was going to commit himself to those promises, and he made good on those promises. So it would be like if you had a laundry list and you gave it to the Lord, and he went down and checked it off and checked it off and checked it off. He's specifically talking to Joshua to remind him of how personally involved he is in his covenant. I'm not only going to go with you, and we're going to mark this all off, but I'm going to win the battle. You just have to suit up and show up. But to the Levites, this is where it echoes to us here in the New Testament. Because we can read this and go, well, you know what? I mean, we don't, we don't get Salt Lake City here in the New Testament. Um, we don't have any promised land for us Christians. What's up? Well, look what it says. Go back one more time. It says, the Lord, their God, is their inheritance as he promised them. We are a spiritual people. We're not physically looking for physical blessings. We are working in spiritual blessings. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 would give us the same kind of prescription he gave uh, the Levites. That's what it says. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I want to remind you that the name Levi means in association with God. We would say this, I'm an associate of God. God and I are an associate. Like, I have the title of an associate pastor. I work alongside Pastor Craig. The same word with Levite is to be, I work alongside God. If you want to know what my title is, I'm God's assistant. If you want to talk to God, you're going to come to me. No, no, it's what it says. But he's just saying, I, I work faithfully in the same industry that the Lord works in. And what is the industry that the Lord works in? Faithful spiritualness. If God is not faithful to Israel, where is Israel? It, was, was Israel always faithful to God? No, absolutely not. In fact, the entire Bible depends on God's faithfulness. And so the Lord is saying, I need to pull you spiritually into this place where you see that this is the work is. The same is for the tribe of Levi, is the same for us. Our inheritance is the same. 
our portion is God because he's called us into that industry. Which brings us back to our next point. My inheritance is not anything in this world. My inheritance is the Lord. And that is the origin of our faith. This is where our faith is birthed from. You know, we can uh, look at this in any kind of way, but Pastor Craig said this this weekend. We did a couple of funerals this past month, and I heard this. Nothing that you have in this world is going to follow you up to heaven. There's no U-Hauls on the way to heaven. There will be none of that, right? In fact, Pastor Craig says it really good. He says, somebody else is going to get your stuff. You know, stuff can be lost. Stuff can be taken away. Land can be lost, like we saw that map. But the Lord cannot be removed from us. And if the Lord is holding on to you faithfully, then you cannot be removed from the Lord. Because when he has us, we have everything. That's why I love the point that is made as we're going through the book of Philippians. By the way, this is really the spiritual walk and work that we are talking about. The Levites is what's coming out on the weekend in Philippians. Uh, look at the screen, Philippians 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. But whatever gains to me now, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more is I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I want to stop there real quick. That word knowing is called gnosis in uh, Greek, and I didn't say that just to impress you so I could look cool up here. That word is actually a very deep word. Gnosis is strictly used in some places for how a man knows his wife. And I know that might be an intimacy that sounds kind of shocking, but when, a, when you ever see a, a married couple that's been living for, together for a long time and they've been married, they're happy, you can kind of see they almost read each other's thoughts. They, uh, you know, like I, some of the most amazing moments is when I come into the, to the house and I haven't even said anything and Jackie has like a glass of water ready for me. I haven't even like spoken and she's like, I just know. And I'm like, how did you know? And she's like, I just know. I just gnosis you. I just, I just know. I'm like, I, I, I just... I just got out of the car. How did, you, how did you even know? She's just like, I just know. That's what it's saying right here. For the surpassing intimate knowledge of the Lord, everything else is lost. For whose sake I have lost all things. Did Paul lose everything for Christ? Absolutely, but he didn't care. Look at this. He says, I consider them garbage. That's strong language there. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. Amen that comes from the law, but that which is through the faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death. What did we just sing? My wealth is in the cross. Why? Because all the old me has been nailed to that cross and it is dead and gone. Everything that is new and is amazing has come through the resurrection of Christ the one who died for me, the one who exchanged places with me so that I could experience the glory of God. He took on my shame so that I could get his glory. That's the Jesus I want to know. And so look what, what Paul says. I want to become like him in his death. I want to get rid of this world and I want to be resurrected only in the glory of God and somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Look at verse 12. This is for us. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. You know, it's, it's incredible that you see this passage put in these words. Is Paul is saying this in a very powerful way, but I will tell you the way that I take it. You know, you will never have Jesus until he has you. 
until he has made you his own. And so before you can possess all of the promises of the Lord, the Lord must possess you, which means that I must fully give my life to the Lord. And that might sound very scary, but the alternative is even scarier. Imagine your life devoid of the promises of God. And so the very foundation of my faith, and this goes right back to Philippians, is we must unite with God. We must be in harmony with God. We must be step for step. We must bring our souls in union with God, but we will never be able to do that until we get to know him, until we get to see him for who he truly is and see how faithful and deep his heart has been for us. And so that's why I love this particular scripture because it's saying, even though I don't look like it right now, and even though I might just be, you know, just struggling, stumbling through all this, I know I'm pressing into it. And I know it's the Lord that's drawing me in. And the deeper that I know him is the more that I want to know about him. And the more time I spend with him, the more I have an appetite for him. And as my hunger and my appetite grows for him, so does his righteousness in me. And then I step into the place of blessing. You know, you will never ever experience the blessings of God until you step into his faithfulness. That's why our faith must be active. It can't be passive and far away. You must be pursuing the God that is actively pursuing you. Look at verse 14. Now, these are the areas that the Israelites received as an inheritance, the land of Canaan. I'm sorry, chapter 14. With Eliezer the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the heads of the tribal clans of Israel allotted to them. Their inheritance were reminding everybody, God commanded, this is happening. Verse 3, Moses had granted the two and a half tribes their inheritance east of the Jordan and had not granted the Levites any inheritance among the rest. For Joseph's descendants had become two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. And the Levites had received no share of the land, but only some towns to live in with pasture lands for their flocks and herds. So the Israelites divided the land just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So essentially, if you're ever in Bible trivia in one of your home groups and you really want to ace this one over everybody else, how many tribes were there in Israel? 13. 13. As you notice, if you, if, can we put that one back up of the map? Levi, which had no land. There's 12 tribes there, but there was the 13th tribe of Levi, which had no land. What happened is you have 12 sons of Jacob. But remember, under Joseph, Joseph got a double portion, right? Because he was the good boy listener to the Lord, right? And so in his double portion, he got Ephraim and he got Manasseh. And you can see Ephraim's right there in the middle in green. And so that would be equal to 12 tribes there. But the 13th tribe would be the spiritual tribe of Levi that served the Lord in the, uh, the spiritual way. So there was no land really designated to them, but the Lord physically did bless them by giving them plots here and there. Just wanted to give you that in case you ever want to win Bible trivia. Allotment for Caleb is where we're going to move. And by the way, this is one of my favorite parts of the Bible. Verse 6. And now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. Now I want to remind you, there's a reason why that's in there. That's where they had their first Passover experience. You know, they had the actual Passover ceremony. And so they're approaching Joshua back at the place where they reminded the God of his covenant, right? Through the Passover, right? Look at this. And Caleb's son of Jephunneh and uh, the Kenizzite said to him, you know what the Lord had said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea about you and me? I don't know how you read that, but I hear some tone. I hear a setup. 
I hear a setup. Do you remember a conversation we had at the beginning of this campaign? Look at verse 7. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. This is talking about when Moses sent out the spies, right? And the 12 spies went out. 10 said, we can't take the land. We can't take the land. There's giants in the land. But then Joshua and Caleb came back and said, we absolutely can take the land. Have you seen the size of these grapes? They're as big as cantaloupes. We're going to have a blast. And they're like, what about the giants? And they said, what about the giants? God said we could take the land. God had spoken. And look how he reminds. He goes, I'm reminding you of that book, that chapter in the book of Numbers. Look what he says. And I brought him back a report according to my conviction. By the way, guys, this is how you... Bark up the tree to the Lord if you're going to do it the right way. I'm just going to remind hearts of the people melt in fear. I, me, Caleb, however, follow the Lord, my God, wholeheartedly. And I just want to stop there. We translate it as wholeheartedly, but the word is closer to a heart full of promises. I'm kind of expanding the definition, but it's a heart full of God's word. It's not wholeheartedly, but a heart full of what you gave me, Lord. Kind of an interesting way to pray back that way. Look at verse 9. So that on the day, which actually he's talking about the day of judgment to Moses, when Moses swore to me, the land which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. And so I'm going to go back to that moment when Moses had that moment with the 10 spies that failed. Remember, there was a judgment and the people were not able to inherit the land right away, right? But who's still here? And despite Israel's faithlessness, God was operating in Caleb's life in the middle of his faithfulness to God. So Caleb had to get inside of God's faithfulness to get that to work, right? Because otherwise he would be banished to the wilderness and die out there with everybody else. But where is he at? I'm a man, this is what he's saying, I'm a man that doesn't just fully fully follow God. I'm a heart full of the word of the Lord. God, what's petitioning you right now isn't my desire. It's a heart full of your promises. And so what he's saying is, Lord, will you honor your promise? Look at verse 10. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time. So just so you know, remember those 40 years they were in the wilderness? Remember they tried to go in, they couldn't go in. 40 years they went out, everybody died off except for Joshua and Caleb, the only two faithful of that generation. And now they've been five years into the campaign. So that 40 plus five, 45. Look what he says. He said to Moses, while Moses moved out about in the wilderness, so here I am today, 85 years old. Amen. He says this. I love this. This is my favorite verse. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me the hill country that the Lord promised me that day. I love it. He's like, look, we're in the middle of it. I mean, God's faithful, I'm faithful, I'm, I'm turning in all the receipts to the Lord right now. And what does he say? That word closer in verse 11 is not just strong. He says, I have the same power that I had when I was 40. I had the same power. And you know why? Look what he says. You heard yourself that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. He said, it doesn't matter if I'm 40. It doesn't matter if it's 85. The Lord says, go, we're going to go. And by the way, that word Anakites is the tribe of the giants. So at 40, he wasn't afraid of the giants. At 85, he says, what's different? My God hasn't changed. We're going. And I love this. It's such a heart and a resolve and a spirit. That word battle, he says, I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. That word is actually unpacked this one. He says, 
not just go out and come back. He says, go out, beat them, whip them, like the Dolphins did 70-20 to the Denver Broncos. You knew it was going to come one time, right? Hallelujah. He Whip them, come back home victorious. That's what that word battles. He's moving in faith because he's saying, it's the Lord that's doing the helping. It's right to, to say this, that my whole walk, my whole life has been defined by God's love, but it's been defined by God's promises. Caleb never once asked for retirement. Caleb never once said, this is a young man's work. God put to work out his glory and his plan, and that's it. If you are alive through you, look at Isaiah 40, chapter, uh, chapter 40, verse 29 on the screen. He gives power to the faint and increases the strength of the weak. The Lord is our strength. Look at 2 Corinthians 4.16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. How could you stay walking with all those complaining people for 40 years and then start a battle inwardly renewed 80 years old? Start a battle 80 years if you were not being inwardly renewed by God daily. I, I believe this brings us to a, another point. Active faith, like Caleb, does not stand on the edge of the Lord's promises. It follows God all the way in. We can't be on the outskirts of what God has said and just be these artificial cheerleaders on the, on the outside going, go, God, go, but I'm safe over here. No, God has called you in. God has called you to move by faith. Basically, Caleb has said it this way. If God is my inheritance and my inheritance is moving into the promised land, then what am I doing over here? If, if my God, who is my inheritance, who is my full blessing and my eternal glory is now moving, what am I doing back here? He's going, I should go with him because that's where I belong because that's the best place to be. And that's a huge issue for the people of Israel, but it's also a huge issue for the people of God today in his churches. We're not fully taking hold of the promises. We're not fully seeing it through. We have to believe, just like Caleb, doesn't matter what God is facing, my God is greater than the enemy. My God is greater than my problems. My God is larger than my situation. March ahead. Nothing is uncertain inside of God. Now, we might face uncertainties around us from our point of view, but understand this. If God has said yes, what's going to change it? What's going to change God's yes? God is rock solid, and Caleb is saying, I don't care what my situation is, we forge ahead. And that's how our faith is built in Christ, is it not? This is how our faith is built in Christ. Daily, my heart is being renewed by Jesus Christ over and over again, manifesting himself, honoring his word, bringing his word to be true, and me looking at it and going, you know what? You know why this is a, such a faith-building moment, that why Jesus is the author and perfecter of my faith? It's because his word originated. His promises originated for his, from his heart to us. I don't want to see you fail. I want to lift you up. I want to pull you into every spiritual blessing. So if it comes from a heart of truth, and his word is true, then just like my little son running across the table, I have nothing to fear. I jump into his heart of truth. And like little kids, that's why he says, you know, you can't enter the kingdom unless you look like these little kids, right? Why? Because the innocence depends on the parent. The innocence, everything comes from us trusting our heart wholly to God because God, a long time ago, if I, and nothing else will suffice, and I, I put this as a note, and one, it will not supply my soul. It will age me. 
But as I grow experience, and then Joshua do with it, it has to do with the heart, and gave him Hebron. Look at verse 13. And then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron. The, and I want to remind you, when it says Hebron, this is amazing because this is the burial sites of Abraham and his wife, right? And so they're coming back to the very place where it started. So Hebron is where it all began to Caleb. Isn't that amazing? I want that property. I want the place where it all began. The Lord honored him. Then it says, Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, which by the way, not a Jew. He was a Kenizzite and he heard the Lord and just like Rahab, right? I heard about how awesome God is. Can, how can I be a part of it? The Lord said, come on in. I don't care if you're a Jew. Come on in. If you follow me, look at this, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. And Hebron used to be called Kirath Arba, after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. Just want to remind you that word again, the Anakites were the giants. And this was the most mighty man of the giants. The most mighty man in the mightiest giant city. And Caleb said, that's my mountain. I don't care what the enemy's doing over there. I care what my God has declared. If he says yes, I'm going. And so we'd have to say this, maybe the greatest giant in your life is God's devotion to you. It doesn't matter what the doctor says. It doesn't matter what situation in the family that you're facing. Is your family, is your situation, is your relationships, is your work job, is your doctor's report bigger than God? No. They all stand in dwarf to the size and the devotion of the heart of God for me. And think what happens. When Caleb entered into that, what happened next? Then the land had rest from war. When, when Caleb honored the Lord into his faithfulness, got into work into God's faithfulness, worked where God was working, what had happened? On the other side of it, there was peace. There was peace for Caleb. You know, we can sum up the heart of these grain men in this way. Psalm 73. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You know, I don't know if you ever had a picture Bible when you were growing up. It was the most greatest Bible. A lot, lot less words, a lot more pictures. I was very into that Bible growing up. I was like, this is a great Bible. And I always remember there was this, I wish I had it still because mine fell apart when I was younger. That, you know, Caleb standing there with the sword in his hand. And he was like, give me that mountain, right? You know, there's no, we could look at that and be like, that man was amazing. That guy was incredible. That guy was special. But he's no different than any of us. The only thing that he had was Jesus, God, sorry. He had the Lord of Israel moving in front of him, blessing him. What is Caleb apart from God? Just like Kenzie and I back in the desert when Israel was moving across, right? Who is Caleb without the blessings of the Lord? Not this mighty man in chapter 14 of Joshua. Whatever we are and whatever we are not pales in comparison to who God really is. And so we're gonna close on this, but I, I wanna challenge you in this way. Sometimes we can give, and we should not, we should give the word of the Lord priority. We should give God the priority to sit in our heart and to rule and reign and to be God and to speak his promises and to speak his truth to our situation and we rest in that. We don't struggle outside of that. We say, Lord, is it a yes? Then if you said yes, Lord, then it's a yes. 
And if you said there should be healing, there should be healing. And if you should be in my marriage and it's falling apart and you come and you speak restoration, then there should be restoration because only you can speak that kind of life into my life. And only the world can listen to you and honor it. Let there be light. Was there light? When he looked at a dead Jesus Christ in the, in the tomb, did he say, let there be life? And was there life? He's the God over all. And he is our God. And he is blessing. And after the blessing and after the struggle, what will there be? When Caleb fully gave his heart to the Lord and the promises of God were fulfilled, there was peace. And so whatever you're facing right now, remind yourself today, whatever I'm facing is facing God. Will I be faithful to him the way he is faithful to me? And will I rest in that? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I thank you so much that there is just so much in the Bible that is exemplifying how much we need you. That these very ordinary men had an extraordinary life because they had an extraordinary God. Lord, we need you now. Many situations, many circumstances in the room, overwhelming, bigger than us. We don't have answers for them, but the answer is you are the answer. Your presence is the answer. Your power is the answer. Lord, we call upon you specifically to go before us and drive out the enemy, to drive out fear, to drive out all the problems that we're facing that we cannot conquer on our own. We need you. We admit it. We have total dependence on your power. We have total dependence on your presence. We know that you are faithful. And Lord, we build our entire prayer right now on that faithfulness that you are not the God that would ever leave us, that you would ever forsake us. Where does my help come from? It comes from God, the maker of heaven and earth. Help me now. I know you will. My heart is full of the promises of God. Lord, the only thing I'm preaching back to you, the only thing I'm praying back to you is your words to me, that you love me, that you have forgiven me, that you are in my life, and you are restoring and redeeming my life. I can't do that. You can do that. And so I give my heart and I give my life fully to you. In Jesus' holy name, amen.